Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business of Design, episode number 125. And you're going to hear from an interior design professional in Florida. He is running a super slick, super mature business, and he considers himself to be relatively new to the industry. But after having spent some time speaking with him recently, I realized he had a lot that was going really well for him. And one of the things we talked about during that phone call we had is the fact that he has not in the past, ever logged his hours. A lot of people think, ah, Kimberly, she hates flat fee proposals. I don't. What I hate is interior design professionals who work for free. It's so unnecessary. And one of the ways you can really be sure you are getting paid for all your expertise is to spend the time it takes to log all the hours. And that's the only way you can understand how much of your life's blood goes into every project. Once you know how many hours a project takes, then fine, let's talk flat fees. And that's why the three books that I've written under the umbrella of Business of Design, Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, are in a very specific order. You have to know the foundations, then you need a process for project management, and then you can do flat fees. Don't try to do it the other way around. Now, Nathan Van Eggs, who you're going to hear from, is already on the fast track doing flat Vs. And it's working pretty well. But one of the things I challenged him to do was to log those hours just to see what you could learn. And the conversation is really interesting. A couple of things happened during the interview that I just want to put some more clarity around. One of them is a reference to something known as Parkinson's Law. Specifically, Parkinson's law says work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. So what does that mean? It means that if I give myself six hours to get something done, I'm going to use all six hours probably. If I give myself one hour to do the same amount of work, I'm going to be laser focused and I likely will get it done and get a better result. And this also applies in my case to junk drawers. If I have a junk drawer, suddenly it's filled up. When I don't have a junk drawer, it doesn't fill up. When I have additional closet space, more clothes somehow wander into my life. And when I don't have space, I keep my clothes down to a reasonable number. You will hear Nathan and I discuss how that proves to be true in our own business lives as well. Something else that happens in the conversation really early on, we're maybe talking for about two minutes, and Nathan says he would like to know my thoughts on the conundrum between hourly fees and value-based fees because there is a conundrum. And I turn to an expert I think is really smart about this kind of thing, a guy named Tim Williams, who's got a company called Ignition Consulting. Recently, Tim sent out a newsletter that spoke exactly to this. And the premise of the conversation was this. If you have been a hardworking art director for many, many years, and you can bang off a sophisticated, smart, fabulous logo for a client in five minutes, should you bill them for five minutes of your time? The answer, of course, is 
No. And so people now who think flat fees are the only way to go, you see Kimberly hourly fees are crazy, think that that's some kind of vindication. It is and it isn't. There are parts of our job that are a flash of brilliance, just like the example of the art director being able to create a logo quickly. For example, I can very quickly say, I want this to have a 1950s Mad Men vibe. That's the right choice for this apartment in this city with this architecture. And that took me five minutes because I've put in 25 years in the industry learning about architecture and design, and I can visualize how perfect that's going to be. So if I only build a client for those five minutes, I'm going to go broke. Where this falls apart in our world is most of us work for ourselves and there are hundreds of hours that come after that that we don't pass off to someone else. A lot of us, many, do all of the tasks themselves. And so at the end of a project, you find that you've billed 125 hours and at the hourly rate you're charging, it seems to work out that you make a reasonable amount of money. Now that's if you are actually billing all of the time or expertise you are putting into the project. Too often that never happens. Tim Williams' article goes on to say that the client wins when that art director can deliver the logo faster. But most of us can appreciate that in in our world, things don't happen with a click of a button. It's not like going to Amazon Prime, putting something in your cart and having it delivered. It's a process. I have to hire a painter. That painter has to have time in his or her schedule. I then have to schedule them to be on site at the clients. I have to choose the paint. I have to make sure that the house is in order so that painter can come in unencumbered and do the job. It's a process. I reached out to Tim to see if he would be willing to come on the podcast and have a conversation with us about the conundrum we find ourselves in. But in the meantime, I want you to know I love flat fees and it is something that works for those designers who really have a grasp on how much time it takes to do a project and who have the confidence to push back against things like scope creep or put a different way, not pushback scope creep, because I love scope creep, but rather to charge more money when the project gets bigger. And it sounds so easy. Of, of course, I charge more when the project grows, but I meet designers every single day who say that, and it takes me about three minutes to dig in and find out that they aren't actually charging for everything they're bringing to the project. So if you're just starting out, I can't recommend hourly fees enough. If you've been doing it a while and you really know how long it takes to do a job, then I can't recommend my flat fee system enough. It works. Do it the way it's outlined. Don't try to go rogue until you know precisely how it works as written. Nathan has so many valuable insights and he's one of those designers I have my eye on because I suspect he is going to really bust out and make a name for himself in his market and then generously share with all of us how he did that. So very exciting stuff. Cheryl is enjoying a long, lazy weekend in Canada right now. And so I'm going to quickly do announcements and we're going to jump right into the show. Business of Design is having a birthday. That's right, 15 years. We launched in 2004 and we have some celebrations coming up. 
We're having a big birthday party at High Point, October 19th, Saturday evening, 5 to 7 p.m. Come on out for champagne. We're going to do some cake or cupcakes. We're going to fill the point with interior design professionals just like you. So if you are new to the business of design community, come on out and meet the best designers in the industry. If you're already a business of design member, let us know you're going to be there because we do have some fun things planned for business of design advocates and business of design members. It is a free event, but we do need you to RSVP at businessofdesign.com so we don't run out of champagne and so we don't run out of prizes and there is a capacity at the point. So we have to watch those numbers very carefully. October 19th at a high point. We'll also be celebrating on September 10th in Washington, D.C. at a Business of Design chapter meeting and on September 23rd in Nashville, also at a Business of Design chapter meeting. For information on both of those celebrations, reach out to Cheryl at businessofdesign.com. I want to also mention if you are going to High Point, I am doing an appearance on the stage Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Have the professional life you've always wanted. Do you remember thinking, wouldn't it be great to be the boss? You probably imagined money, free time, unlimited vacation. If those things aren't happening for you, come to the theater at High Point and let's have a conversation about it. The Saturday morning 10 a.m. event at the theater is also free. Remember, if you're a creative professional, there is no reason you have to choose between better work and a better life. You can have both. In my session, I'm going to talk about where to start when it's time to change your business and your life, and you might be surprised at my answer. I'm going to give you five measures of true success. And then we're going to talk about how to create a blueprint for the life you want and the lifestyle you deserve and desire. Those are a few of the events that are coming up really quickly at Business of Design. Business of Design's Santa Monica Elite Retreat is sold out. If you want to be on the waiting list, let Cheryl know. But oh my gosh, if you have not yet committed to going to Business of Design Conference January 25th and 26th in Las Vegas. What are you waiting for? The conference is a Saturday and Sunday right before Las Vegas market starts. So you'll have an opportunity to do all of those things. We are going to work very hard on the Saturday and Sunday. This is not just going to be a meet and greet where you meet awesome interior design professionals. You will, I promise, but I am going to push you. If you're brand new to the community, we will have some workshops that appeal to you. If you've been around a long time, I want you to know, I keep you in mind as we are creating new content and new curriculum. And so we will have guaranteed new content. If you implement a fraction of what we teach at the conference, you are going to have the best year you've ever had. Let's make 2020 as amazing as it already sounds. Sign up today for Business of Design Conference Las Vegas Market, January 25th and 26th. It's only $1,195. It's priced to sell out. It should be three, four, five times more expensive, but we want you there. We will sell out, so please sign up today. 
I should also say this is early bird pricing. The price will go up to $13.95. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Let me tell you about today's guest, Nathan Van Eggs. Nathan describes himself as an up-and-coming, highly artistic, yet down-to-earth interior designer. He's worked in the design field since 2009. He's gaining quite a reputation in Central Florida. He says in part because his aesthetic is modern and streamlined with just a touch of drama. I really love that. Nathan earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in interior design from the International Academy of Design and Technology, and he worked on the design staff at Herman Miller before he opened his own firm in 2014, which is in the trendy neighborhood of Thornton Park. The firm's services include luxury, residential design, custom renovations, hospitality, and restaurant design. And Nathan came to a conclusion really early on, and thank you, he gives tons of credit to Business of Design, we appreciate it, that systems and strategies were the way that he could get the business he deserves and desires, create the lifestyle he deserves and desires, and still have free time. And he is a testimonial that it works. If you're one of the hundreds or thousands of interior design professionals who are using business of design strategies and systems and protocols, this can happen for you too. You have to implement. We talk about this all the time. I would much rather you hear one positive thing and then put that into action than listen to thousands of hours of advice and never take that action. So if something moves you on the podcast and you want to know specifically how to run your projects like a boss from start to finish, that means that you need to know Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy. Lots of BOD members out there who are talking about it on podcasts, etc. But don't forget, You really want to get the purest instruction and follow the procedures step-by-step from beginning to end. This episode of Business of Design is brought to you by BuildLane. BuildLane is an extraordinary app that you can use, you clever designer, to order custom furniture from the comfort of your office. No visit to the factory or showroom rep required. Design details will not be overlooked, and by communicating directly with BuildLane and by extension with the factory, you'll enjoy shorter lead times and increased profitability. 
As you may know, I've ordered a first piece of furniture for Kimberly Selden Thank Design Group. Thank you for being group, a part of the, the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on I the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, sure you'll gain I access to Business of Design's 15-step right project now, management you strategy, enter a, contest a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? US and Together Canada. we will achieve extraordinary results. For more information, results. head over to businessofdesign.com. You can click on the Build Lane ad and set up that account really fast. Thank you so much, Build Lane, for your support of Business of Design and our amazing community. And now, back to the show. Nathan, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I haven't talked to you in ages. Well, it hasn't been that long. A couple months, right? Been busy. Just been busy. Well, all good stuff, I hope. Absolutely. So last time we had a conversation about where you were going in your business and how much has changed. And we hit on a section of the conversation where you, I'm going to use the word confessed, but I don't think it was that dramatic, but you shared with everybody uh, the fact that you do not log your hours. And I was like, went ballistic. So Mm -hmm. have you started logging your hours? I have. I've actually made everybody in my office log their hours. I love it. Okay. So what we want to do in this episode is discover what did you learn from logging your hours and what happens next. So let's start at the beginning, just for those who maybe didn't hear episode number one. Why did you not log hours previously? What did you love about not having to log hours? Well, I think I didn't, I didn't, really relate logging hours to kind of checking in on productivity and things like that in the office. I looked at logging hours as a way to bill and I flat fee design. Uh, I, I bill flat fee and I've always done that. So I think that was my first stepping into looking at um, not having to have the time and energy to put into it. Really, that was that was my deciding factor. And I do understand that if you are, if you have a flat fee that is working for you, if you can look at that number and say, I can earn a living off this number. And Mm -hmm. there's a really great argument to be made that it doesn't really serve the client to log hours when you should be faster and efficient at your job because you're great at it. And therefore you could charge the value of the service you provide. Right. And that's actually an argument that I'm, I'm curious on your feedback as well, because I, I look at how quickly I can execute design and it does it, you know, after the years of practice, it does come pretty quickly for me. The team is a little bit different. So it, you know, might take more time for them to develop, a, develop things, but really selling your value and, and knowing that even though I have 10 hours in a project, putting a price to that is a little different than, just putting an hour to it on when I'm bidding project, when I'm thinking about, you know, what, what the, what the end result is that the client's looking for. I'm always kind of looking at the whole picture, especially on the design side before we move into project management. So it's been eye opening. Really it's been eye opening to see what it actually takes for me to do a project. And I could do quite a lot more of them really, you know, looking at the hours that I put in, if I focus on the right things, I can, I can do more projects. Ooh, okay. So let's just get right into the lessons you learned then. What was the first thing that kind of struck you about logging hours? 
I think realizing that the team has, and my team is, so my team is, is my executive assistant who kind of handles all of our in-house, you know, scheduling the, the typical things. And then I, I really farm out a lot of our drawings and production stuff. So that's not handled in my office. And then at any time, usually I have a, um, an assistant designer or somebody in-house that, that helps with specifications and things like that. Asking everyone to log their hours, the first thing I realized is that everybody's not busy enough. Um, I realized that my draftsmen are putting, we're putting in five or six hours and you know, I'm, I'm sitting here behind the eight ball on all of my projects trying to, trying to keep up with all of the demands. And then I realized that my team is just not busy enough. And there's so much more bandwidth that I could give them and make them and kind of guide them into how to be more productive with their time and how to, instead of, um, you know, focusing on six projects at once, I think when you log your hours, you're, you're actually focusing on you know, moving each project forward because you're kind of thinking in that mind frame, that, that same kind of um, mindset. So for me, it, it made me realize that if I sit down and look at a design concept and I'm, I'm spending, you know, three or four hours on that, it forces me to almost focus on that time frame and really moving and having a goal of what the end of that is going to be. So for me, after I realized the hours, it was more, how can I use this to my benefit? How can I look at the workload that needs to be done and set some goals to get the work done as well, knowing how long it took me to do it, you know, last month because I was able to evaluate projects. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So I heard a lot of good things in there. Number one, you saw how busy your team actually is. And that's that's good news because it's good news whether or not they are employees. If they're employees, it's really important news because you have to factor in, wow, they did five hours worth of work this week. And I'm just making this up. They did five hours worth of actual client billable work this week. And yet I'm paying them a full-time salary and benefits. That doesn't seem like a smart strategy. Or conversely, I'm really glad that person is an independent contractor because they only did five hours for me this week. Maybe next week they're going to do 20, but this week it was only five hours. And then the second thing I heard is it allowed you to be aware of really focusing on a task at hand. And that was a big game changer for me because I used to be so scattered. I would go to a fabric place, for example, to source, and I would be looking for four different clients. And I would be all over the place. And when I finally left there, I had four partial completed jobs in my bag instead of one or two fully 100% completed projects in my bag. So I think being able to focus on what you're doing and really give it your laser attention will make you more efficient at your job, for sure. Right. And I I don't know that you are any more productive working on, like you said, if you're going to the fabric store, working on three projects than you are maybe making two different appointments for two different projects and really being able to focus. I mean, sometimes, sure, you find something and it's perfect, so you're going to grab it and and that makes sense because it, it's, not, it's not energy that you put in. But I think sometimes the interior designer can underestimate the amount of energy and focus it takes to get a project done. 
And so really giving yourself that parameter of, I have three hours to sit down and get this work done really helps you do it. It really gives you that, that start and end point that is so important. I could not agree more. I have found that I get so much more accomplished by blocking time and focusing on one thing at a time and getting that done. And so for in the example that I use where I'm sourcing for fabric, if I desperately need fabrics for two projects, then I just start on one, I complete it, and then I start the second one. I might go for lunch in between or stop for a cappuccino or something, and then I start the second one. But I really separate those two tasks. And what I found as a group, um, because when we started really focusing on logging our hours, there were probably 13 of us, we could really see who was working hard and accomplishing things every day and who was moving paper around on their desk. Right, it was really clear. Why is this person billing twenty-seven hours um, during this week, and this other person over here is billing nine hours? Where's that other time going? And it's not that they're a lousy person, right? They're just—they're like—they're organizing their files, they're cleaning the kitchen, they're—they're doing all kinds of stuff which isn't billable. So I got to figure out like how many clients do I need to keep it all billable? We call it fake work in my office. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's so true. There's, there's always things that seem to be urgent and, and, and needed. And your office can tend to kind of work on that stuff because it's easier work. And so I just call that to like everybody identify that when you're working on fake work, it's fake work. So right. if it's not the hard work that it takes to get our job done, you know, take a moment and realize what you're doing and then move forward with perhaps changing your task. Yeah, because you can be busy all day, but not be productive. And so what you're looking for as the employer is productive staff and and productive means billable. If it's not billable, why are we doing it? What, what are you, who, what are you paying all these people for if it's not productive? It can get quite expensive. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So, was sh- so that was one thing that was shocking to me—the disparity between how many hours people were billing. That was a big shock. And what that taught me is that everybody thinks they're logging their hours, but some people aren't catching everything. And we had this one staff member who caught every second she worked on projects. And so I started creating these contests at the office that for the month of July, whoever billed the most uh, billable hours was going to get a $500 gift certificate to Holt Renfrew, which is a department store in Toronto. Oh my gosh. People sat up straight and got stuff done that month. It was crazy. But this one woman, her name is Emily, she just killed everybody all the time. And so what we did is we had Emily explain to everybody how she logs her hours. And then I watched, like with my own eyes, real people, I watched all of their hours improve. Because what was happening is so many times they were doing tasks but not logging it. Ugh, it only took me a minute, so I'm not going to log it. Right? And that there was a lot of that going on. Like I had a phone call yesterday from the contractor. What about the metal frame in the client's master bathroom? And we had a conversation. We had already sent him the paperwork like months and months ago. I had to dig it up. I had to resend him the paperwork. Then I had to talk to the electrician. And in my mind, that took like five minutes. When I looked at the clock, it was 45 minutes later. And so that's the kind of thing where you might think, I'm not even going to write that down because it was just a quick conversation with the contractor. 
You know, it's, it's interesting to look back at the last few months and just from a business side, you know, just looking at it as these are the things that we do to ensure that our business is going to be successful. And I think you have to look at it as, you know, now that I know what it actually takes for me to get work done, I'm able to plan much better. And I think that we, we get overwhelmed in the design community. There's so like, you, you know, there's so many details, there's multiple meetings with multiple people and quickly your calendar just gets full week by week by week. So not it, having a better understanding has actually helped ease a little bit of anxiety on my end, knowing that if I sit down for three hours, I can actually make a big headway in a project if it's my focus time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. The other thing, imagine how you sound to a customer when they say, I want you to add this specific thing to the project. And you can say, well, that's going to be at least 14 hours of time. So we're going to get to that next month, not this month. You you sound like you really have a handle on your business where previously my only answer was like, sure, yeah, no problem. And then I'd go back to the office and I'd say, hey, so-and-so, can you do this? And she'd be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to, my heart's going to blow out of my chest. I'm so overwhelmed. I couldn't possibly do that for another week. And I'm like, ah, oh, so frustrated and disappointed because I just didn't really have a handle on how long it took to do anything. I get it. I've been there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what else? What other observations? So it's been three months that you've been logging hours. What other observations have you made? I've been able to, let's see, really, I think looking at things from a daily, monthly, quarterly, weekly kind of process of being able to look at, you know, in a month, what can we accomplish? And and having the hours logged kind of helps you look forward and backward. And it helps you evaluate um, maybe future projects or your workload or how to kind of fit things in to that process. So I think, you know, I have always looked at having a long-term focus on what the year is going to look like. I think achieving goals and things like that is just something that's always been built into me, but how you turn that into a motivator for your team and kind of setting guidelines and setting, you know, our goals for projects help people, helps, helps everyone kind of understand what, what is at stake for the client's project, what you're expecting, what revenue goals you're making, or you have, um, for the project. So I think having that kind of transparency and knowing that um, when you give a project to a designer or you or a drafts person, whoever it might be, you're actually able to say, I'd like this done in 10 hours mm-hmm. rather than just giving them an, an open ended goal, which which is which people can spin their wheels, especially if you're not a principal or a, or a seasoned designer, you can spin your wheels for hours and hours and hours and hours and never come up with a result. But if you tell somebody that you need an hour to produce X, Y, Z, they might come to you with something that's not exactly what you want, but then you can edit it and be, um, you know, put your two cents in and help guide them. And I think that's more effective than letting them spin their wheels for three hours. There's actually a principle that says whatever amount of time you have to accomplish a task is how much time the task will take. So if you have nine hours to accomplish a task, it will take you nine hours. But if you have one hour, that same task gets done in one hour. And I have found that to be 100% true. 
it's also nice to to have those um, parameters so that your calendar does free up a bit and then you can get your time to be creative and loose as well. And I have a little bit of free time. And I think people are always say, how do you have free time? And I really do think it's because of these kinds of systems that we put in place. I couldn't agree more. And what I found too is when I got comfortable blocking hours of time and accomplishing tasks and getting things done, it gave me real freedom in the time that I was off, right? I could then block you know, five hours to go to a home show and just fill up my creative battery and not feel guilty and not feel overwhelmed. Where mm-hmm. before I was always thinking about, oh, I'm going to quickly do this home show because I have to get back and do these other 98 things, right? Yes, it's quite, I mean, it's over. It's overwhelming. So I think the more, the more you can just kind of put your to-do list out on the table and allocate the time and energy over the next week or so, it it really does, one, help you be at ease with what your week's going to look like. And when things do come up, you can work that time in and it's a little more flexible. And I think that knowing how long it takes things done is the first step to do it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And there's a lot of scientific data to back up the fact that often the tighter the focus, the shorter the deadline, the better the product. And that's the other thing that's kind of blown my mind. As I've been able to get more comfortable working in blocks of time, for example, I can now block four hours to go sourcing fabrics and I can leave with 38 fabrics picked for the whole house. Where before it would be, I'd go like, you know, five, six hours, I wouldn't quite finish. And then maybe I'd have to go back the next day, but I was super busy. So I'd go back for another hour and I didn't quite finish. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I wish, I wish in the beginning, somebody would have sat me down and and told me, look, if you want to have a business that's going to be successful, you have to understand the value of time. And not only from a design perspective, but our projects are large. They're very involved. There's a lot of moving parts. So you can't, you can't spend all of your time thinking about it. You have to actually spend your time working on each piece so that you can put the whole composition together. And that, that is where I think most of the value as an interior design professional comes. And it's, sometimes myth, you know, sometimes it takes years to figure that out. And I think really in the past year and a half, I've, I've really stepped into what the business of design is, especially with, you know, business of design help and all that. It, it is, it is a differentiator to be able to execute and get the work done, not just, you know, multiple meetings and, and being frazzled and always being last minute, all of those things now that I look back, show me that that was a little business immaturity, really, just not understanding what it takes. And I would say, you know what, Nathan, you are at the beginning, even though you've been doing it a while, and I don't mean in terms of your maturity, but you're at the beginning of a new enterprise almost. Your business now is this mature enterprise with people who work for you and rely on you to be successful. And you owe it to them. You owe it to yourself. And frankly, you owe it to everybody listening to be a huge success and then pay it forward. Teach other people how you got there. 
Um, because, you know, when you're starting out and you feel so alone, certainly for me, I, I didn't even dream of being successful. I just wanted to make my clients happy. And so I didn't have a true appreciation for what time meant. In my mind, when I first started out, I could just give my time because I was learning. Um, but you know, that won't sustain you very long. You can't, you can't run a thriving business if that's your attitude. So the big question, the very big question is having done this for three months, are you charging enough in your flat fee contracts or is it time to bump those up? You know, I've actually always felt pretty comfortable with where I priced projects recently. I would say in the beginning, absolutely not. I was not charging enough and I can, I can tell you that I do like the, the, to um, the two exit points in the project where we go through step five and it's really, it's really a great way to separate the design project management. And, and I've never really had a great way to do that until I'm, I found business of design. And so it really put the parameters on how you can separate the two and still get quotes and do all the work that it takes to get there. So in getting to that step five, I found that, my ideal client, I was charging enough, but when it, when it immediately stepped out of my ideal client and it was a different scenario or something I was trying new, then that moment of doing the presentation and then stepping into that revision also fell into that, oh, it's it maybe multiple meetings and it, it didn't just happen at once. And I think that's something I'm still working at, but that is where I fall short of charging enough. If I can get it done, have a really great, successful step five presentation, which most, you know, I always have a, I wouldn't say a not successful step five presentation, but there are some clients and some situations that will require more of me after that step five. And I think I'm, I still have some work to do there of how to handle that and how to maybe charge once there's more than one revision and how to it's not necessarily because they don't like something. It's not necessarily because we didn't hit it. It's just sometimes you get a client that can't commit or that really goes through that uh, wishy-washy phase. And that can be very challenging. Okay. Yeah. There was so much in that answer for sure. So the point of the flat fee though, is to make sure that you're getting paid for every client and you can't possibly know if it's going to go perfectly and smoothly the first time you meet that customer. So the reality is if you charge more than the ones that are easy and your ideal customers will become more profitable and that's good news. And the ones who are flip floppers and can't make up their minds won't rob you of profitability because the problem with charging to this, you know, to the minimum, that perfect the perfect situation where you're stepping into step five, is that when you have those clients who aren't the perfect or ideal client, the flip floppers, the one that wants five re revisions, that extra time you spend there completely destroys any profitability from the ideal customer. So you're just in a lose lose situation. So you you. To me, it seems obvious that you, in fact, do need to raise your rate, and it sounds like you may need to have more clear boundaries around what a revision means and what it doesn't mean, and then be super strict about charging extra money for the revisions, which is hard. I mean, I, I think that sometimes that can be hard. Well, especially because you, you 
get out of that revision. And like I said, my clients never say, oh, that's not what I was thinking at all. It's usually just being wishy-washy. And so if that's a personality thing, you you want to accommodate. And as, as somebody that wants their work to be received well, it's, it's one of the hardest things I would say a design professional has to navigate, especially in residential interiors. What's a really good incentive for a wishy-washy client? Well, I've, I've just started to put project timelines together. And when we don't meet dates, the timeline gets pushed. Is that the question? That's so, a really good incentive for a wishy-washy client. That's great. We can go back and do another revision. Just know that we're now looking at February as the install date. Or um, another, another really good incentive for wishy-washy people is the expense of extra revisions. When they get an invoice to see that you had to spend your time reworking something and they say, oh, wow, this is costing money. I need to focus and make a decision because sometimes a wishy-washy client is just as busy and overwhelmed as I was when I started my business and they're not focusing either. They're kind of like, oh yeah, maybe that's right. I don't know. Let me think about it. I'll ask my girlfriend. Let me. And then if they see that that's expensive to do that, they'll stop everything focus and make a decision. So you have, I would you, agree, right? yeah, you have two levers, right? You can pull the time lever. This is going to cost more time or you can pull the money lever. This is going to cost more money. And I made the mistake one time of, of forgetting to accept the, re, the revision they wanted to do to the, to the cabinetry design. Um, and I went ahead and did the revision and I forgot to mention that, you know, this is the revision that we need to charge for. And I feel like there is a moment if you're flat fee based that you do need to let your client know that we're moving into a revision that's going to be billed. Um, you know, and it was only like four or five hours and I, I didn't mention that we were going to bill them for this time. So, uh, slightly, I just sent a bill that was a professional courtesy showing the hours we put in and the time that we're crediting, you know, as a professional courtesy. And then I noted with that bill that any additional, um, you know, any additional work was going to be billed at our contracted hourly rate. So that was a good way to kind of fix the problem immediately. (laughs) You eased yourself uh, into the conversation with them. It's kind of a passive way of discussing the money, right? Instead of a direct way, which is terrific. As this is the second revision, it's going to be billed by the hour as discussed in the contract. Right. So you, I understand that you wanted to soften the information. So you delivered it in a clever way for sure. Um, and then it allowed you to go forward, which is better than not having that conversation at all for sure. Absolutely. Especially once I got the gist that it might be a few revisions that we're going to go through and I need to set, I need to fix the the problem that I saw in front of me immediately. (laughs) So many people say, oh, Kimberly doesn't like flat fees. She only likes hourly fees, which isn't true at all. I love flat fees. But until you really have a grasp of how much time it takes to run a project from top to bottom, you are going to get creamed with flat fees. And we've been talking primarily about the upfront presentation costs. But when you get into 
which are easier to manage, right? Because there's to- you have total control of everything that happens up to the presentation. Following the presentation, though, you, you're in crazy town now. You've got trades and suppliers and disappointments and uh, back orders and discontinued stock and stuff that you are dealing with. And it's incredible to me that there are times when we do a project that's really huge and the back-end project management goes so smoothly and everything arrives and nothing is broken. And then there are times when we do just such a little job. It's like a tiny little job. And I think, oh, it's going to be a breeze. But it's like one fabric after the next is discontinued or backordered or the time delivery changes and that changes everything, right? So you just can't know. It's the wild west. It is. So it's so important to have, like you said, and, and I'll take this and run with it, but to have your profitability built in for worst case scenario is really just having your profitability be built in, period. <laughs> period. And then what's so cool, and you're going to really be able to do this, Nathan, and tell everybody how it went for you. You're going to be able to then work on efficiencies and say, okay, now every flat fee project we do, we are making our margins and life is good. How can I improve them? Because that's okay to do. You can keep the amount that you're charging, but get better and more efficient and faster at your job and therefore grow your profitability. That's a smart business choice, right? Absolutely. And that that sounds exciting. And that sounds like something you want to wake up for. You are going to do this. I'm, I totally would bet on you. You're absolutely going to do this. And what I found, those little contests we did, I can't tell you how much it improved everybody's efficiency. People started really thinking, you know, if I can get all of this done before I leave today, that's going to be eight hours I'm billing to actual clients, and I'm going to win that $500 to Holt Renfrew. It was such a small strategy that worked so well in our office. So maybe you want to try that with your team as well. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a win-win situation for everyone. Oh my God. You're awesome. I love speaking to you. Um, and you know, we end every episode with design intervention. Anything come to mind? Yes. I would say I'm, I'm just a huge advocate. Well, lately the, the pressure of our job is so real that I want to make sure I'm taking the time to fill myself with all of the good things that I need in order to be a um, true leader. And I think that means taking time off and that means really spending the time to understand your patterns and your workflow and, and creating your ideal week. What is, what does your ideal week look like? What does your staff ideal week look like? And then taking the time to organize your organization around how you work and what works and what doesn't. So, I, you know, I just, I think that having a really good understanding of how to fill your cup full so that it kind of spills over to everybody else is really, really important. Yeah. And yet that was so elusive to me until I had those systems and strategies in place. And here you are, you have so many things in place now, you could actually make that happen. And I have never yet had a client um, be unhappy because I've said, I'm taking next week off for a holiday or you know, I'm, I'm not available after 2 PM because I'm going to my yoga class. I've never had a client be unhappy about that because they understand that they want my full attention. 
Absolutely. And, and it's, and it's important to take a moment, you, you know, we get into this really, really busy, urgent vibe that can take up what feels like years of your life. And just recently I had to take, take a step back and say, how am I going to perform at my best? And that means I've got to make it to the gym in the morning. You know, that it, it's one of the things that helped me stay sane. So I structure my calendar and I structure my team and I structure everybody into a way that allows for me to do the things that I need to do so that when the pressure's on and we've got to bring in the projects and we have to perform and we have to make sure that we're profitable and all of these things that can be really taken lightly until you kind of step into your own. I, the first, the first line of defense is how do I feel? And imagine how great you're going to feel when your company is profitable beyond your wildest dreams, thriving, and the people who work for you are also profitable and thriving, right? And buying homes and having babies and getting new cars. I looked around one day and I thought, oh my gosh, I have all these incredible people who work for me and they, they're buying homes. They're getting married. They're throwing weddings. They have babies. I'm, I've got to be part of all of that in such a good, healthy way. It's so satisfying. So it's super selfish because, you know, I love the things that I can do when I have money. Uh, but there's also a part that's just so generous and fabulous. So I'm, I'm excited for what's going to happen in your life. Well, thank you. I, I, I owe a lot to Business of Design for helping me just get that one further step. And you guys are another notch in the, in the career path. And I'm excited for the next five years. I just hit my fifth year in business, so... Oh my gosh, you sound amazing. I wish I was where you are at the fifth year. It took me to the 15th year to get there. So <laughs> don't despair if you're listening and you're not where Nathan is. You can get there really quickly. We promise, right, Nathan? Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. It was wonderful to talk to you, Kimberly. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.